0: we and Uh, Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Good Heroin with Dave Ross. I'm Dave Ross, and I'm glad you're here. I'm having a little bit of a day. You know one of those days where just everything breaks? I'm having one of those days where everything breaks. Not my heart. My heart's fine. I have a girlfriend. She's great. But everything fucking else, man. Like my computer, I just... It just literally. I just keep getting these notifications that are that basically say "fuck you." A little window. I open a program that I use all the time, and then a window pops up and it says, uh, "Critical error. Go fuck yourself." Error one oh one. Eat shit, you piece of shit. It said shit twice, which it, you know is a little under creative. Apple. I thought you were supposed to be the fucking, you know, arty one. The RD computer. Honestly, I have a Mac and it's operating like a fucking PC. Not to make this like a commercial. <laughs> but uh uh I um Hello though. I'm fine. I just wanted to, I guess, vent about that. Right up top on my podcast, you know, just inject a little aggression into your day because I'm having a tough time. And this isn't even coming out today, so we can't even vent together. Four days from now, when this podcast hits the airwaves um, and you download it onto your personal computer... uh, um, (laughs) I'm short-circuiting. That's the kind of day I'm having... Um, you're going to you're gonna sympathize with me four days from now is what I'm saying. Or maybe you won't. Maybe you'll be like, man, I listen to this podcast for entertainment, not to hear about how you're having trouble with your fucking tech dickwad. And you're going to call me a dickwad in your car, but you won't be in your car because it's quarantine. You're going to be inside, lonely. Maybe not lonely because there's a person there, but that's the only person you've ever seen, so it feels like loneliness. I'm having a hard day. <laughs> it's not that hard. It's just everything breaks. It's the thing about tech. It's like... Yeah, we can all hang out on Zoom all the time, but then it breaks half the time. And it breaks half the time because it's a machine with five billion moving parts. That's what a computer is. It's a brain made by a person. Of course, it breaks all the fucking time. And we haven't even gotten that good at making these metal brains yet. Like, they can't do everything a human brain can. And you know something that fucks with my head? A human brain is possible of critical thought, right? Problem solving. And uh and so there are certain things that a human being has to do. Uh and you know, that's a whole thing about like jobs being taken by computers or whatever. But um I think it's really interesting how we can think critically and problem solve and understand nuance, complexity, um, specificity in ways that even the smartest computers can't. But A computer's computing power is 10 billion times ours. You know what I mean? Like, even the smartest person needs, like, a second to multiply 600 by 53 billion or whatever. Um, A computer's like, done. (laughs) Hey, what's the answer? Done. (laughs) I just think it's so funny that uh, there's absolutely no problem-solving power in a thing that can do math instantaneously. And that's the thing I've thought, man, it is potato head week, isn't it? Happy potato head week, everybody. We're all talking and think about potato heads. <laughs> I'm getting a real kick out of it. I I cannot believe this argument. And I want to say, up. I really am laughing a lot. There's a lot of silly bullshit happening surrounding potato head. <laughs> and here's the thing I do want to say up top. That um, uh, I know that uh, the fact that people are mad that the mister is going away from Mr. Potato Head and Mrs. Potato Head. I know that that, uh, to trans people, non-binary people, gay people, uh, marginalized people in general, it's a reminder uh, that people aren't seeing them and respecting their identity. And I really don't mean to make light of that. I also know that there are people that just haven't caught up. That aren't necessarily terrible people That just don't get it And are frustrated uh, by a change They don't understand uh, And I don't want to make light of that Um, But Separate of those things Can we please just talk for a minute About how funny it is That there are human beings right now Saying this potato is a man (laughs) It always was a man. I don't want to talk about potatoes that don't have a gender. You're telling me that this potato wearing a wig isn't a girl. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I love it so much. Do you know how crazy you sound? The arguments against trans rights are ridiculous. It's like this potato has a gender and I want bathrooms to be the same. (laughs) Like That's how you know... uh, that transphobic people are completely wrong like hate is always wrong but these arguments are like they're like i don't know they're like baby arguments i don't just like my potato has a dick all right that's the other funny thing is that the thing with Mr. Potato Head, and yes, I called it Mr. Potato Head right now because that's what it was when I had it as a kid, but I don't give a shit. It's Potato Head. It's Mrs. Potato Head. It's Ms. Potato Head. It's MX Potato Head. It's 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 a fucking zucchini. It's nothing. It's a fucking toy potato. Who cares if it has a gender? I can't even believe we're talking about it, but I, I just... Like I said those two things earlier I understand that's the complexity of it and uh that it is indicative of a much larger issue that hurts people and I again I don't mean to <laughs> make light of that but it's just it's a toy potato and uh and you ought to keep my potato the same like god you're such a moron I um uh um but yeah the other thing about potato heads is that you like you can put the body parts anywhere, so it's not even a fake person. It's a. Th- it's not a. It's not a person. It's a potato, but it's a potato that you make look like a person. But only rarely. I mean, I was putting the ears where the where the mouth is. I was putting arms in their butt. Every single boy, and I would imagine girl and every other gender as well, um, who owned a potato head, um, took an arm and made it the potato's dick. Am I the only person who did that? I said that to my friend James recently, and he said he had never done that, and I kind of refused to believe that. I made the potato head's arm, the potato head's dick, and then I shoved the arm up the potato's ass, and uh, I'm just saying, like if you take a brown plastic rock and you put the ear where the mouth is and an arm in its butt, and you're like, "This is a mister. <laughs> you're a fucking lunatic I just also remove all of the elements. Just This is what I like to do. I think a good test for seeing if you're being a hateful asshole, um, just seeing if you're being too judgmental, is to change the variables of the equation and then see if you agree with your reaction inside of that equation still. Okay? So if we were to change Mr. Potato Head to... Let's say Dr. Grape Dick. Dr. Grape Dick is a popular toy amongst children. It's a dick made of grapes, and it's a doctor. All right? And then one day, they change it from being Dr. Grape Dick to Grape Dick. Do you flip out? Or are you like, this is no longer... You are taking my childhood away. This penis made of fruit has a PhD in botany, okay? Where I come from, this dick, this grape dick... It does research. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe that analogy was garbage and just the Dr. Grape Dick isn't that different from Mr. Potato. But you get my point. My point. You get my point, okay? <laughs> Look, Ron, YouTube, if you want to see me spitting all over the fucking mic, com slash good heroin. Hey, let's do the plugs real quick. I got merch, com. I just put up some shirts that say I am God on them and some shirts that say I am a truck on them. <laughs> Because that's the kind of person I am I don't know Also, I got flip books of my first album for sale That was when I put out my first album The Only Man Who Has Ever Had Sex I released it as a flip book that I designed and wrote uh, Along with a digital download And I sold out But I have some more now If you want to order one of those Also, uh, I have a Twitch show every Tuesday with my dear friend Kyle Ayers called Awful Level League on Kyle's Twitch. He's at Kyle Prime Video on there, twitch.tv slash Kyle Prime Video, every Tuesday night at 5 p.m. Pacific Time. I have another podcast called What's It Called with my friend Caleb Signin. I have a Discord server. If you want to sign up for my Discord server, there is an evergreen invite at discord.davetotheross.com. My website is davetotheross.com if you want links to all that shit. So I have a Patreon if you want more of me Patreon.com slash Dave to the Ross I just put an exclusive uh, video of my stand-up up up there That I had never put up before Of me doing a set at Andy Kindler's particular show In 2016 And it has all these bits on it that I forgot about I'm really excited about it Uh, Wow, that was like one minute I did all my plugs Look at us, we're getting good at this, huh? Being trapped inside is good It only takes you a year and a half to learn how to talk fast. (laughs) Man, I'm so excited uh, for my guest this week. His name is Derek Brown. He's a great poet turned comedian, turned a lot of things, and just a sweet guy. And we had a great conversation. So uh, let's get to that. Enjoy Derek Brown. I am so happy uh, to be here on the internet with alt-right slam poet Derek Brown. (laughs) oh shit all right dude i is a slam poet does a slam poet have his hat sideways he put his hat
1: sideways no i thought i thought joe rogan wore his hat sideways or backwards i'm not right i'm not i don't even know if joe rogan's all right i have no idea
0: i do think you can't tell anymore there's no look and they all eat like organic food and they like oh The shins and stuff. You can't, we used to be in totally separate camps. If you like the shins and you were queer or queer positive and you were liberal, um, then you know, you were like skinny jeans and yeah. thick old glasses. And all those other guys did push ups and punched walls and they hated people and they were all straight and they ate meat or whatever. But I don't know,
1: man. Yeah, you're going to be bow hunters who believe in queer rights now. Which is wonderful.
0: Yeah. That I like. What I dislike are vegans who hate gay people. It's like, (laughs) (laughs) what's happening? Uh (laughs)
1: Because they suck that meat.
0: Oh, okay. (laughs) I mean, honestly. I see it. Oh, boy, that's (laughs) man, that comparison that was I'm going to think that's like going to that's going to like take up a part of my brain for a while. Derek, a vegan doesn't like gay people because they suck (laughs) meat. (laughs) it's just
1: suck that sweet meat those sweet
0: breads i feel like we there's something we've said here that was wrong and uh and uh, hurt someone and we didn't mean to we're i will
1: i I will (laughs) say something i have a caveat i have tried the onnit products that uh joe rogan pitches and i find the peach mushroom powder to be delicious i don't even know what you're talking about he may he he uh, <laughs> helps run he runs his other company called you know sports uh, not sports energy but like fitness stuff and i was like my buddy works for them i was like i'll try it yeah i'm i'm ripped and all i do is fuck it's amazing wow that's <laughs> great dude You
0: are, uh, damn, you should just be in an ad for the Joe Rogan experience. You are having a Joe Rogan experience.
1: He doesn't want any alt-right comics on his uh, podcast, so here we are. Uh,
0: And once again, I understand nothing. Um, (laughs) So, obviously, I was kidding. Um, when I said that, I hope it's obvious that I would never have an alt-right person or a slam poet. Look, <laughs> anyone can do whatever they want in life as long as they don't hurt others. Uh, just to clear up any of the joking I just made before, uh, I uh, you know how I feel. I accept all as long as you're not hurting people. That said, and so alt-right people are out. And uh, so I guess I don't really judge A slam poet if you're slamming your Poetry in uh, people's faces That's uh, fine But I've never seen it and liked it And also everyone who does It is garbage and <laughs> I Want them to die But that said I do accept you
1: <laughs> You know our, our buddy Jeremy Radin has a great note about why, it, why, why the world Is annoyed by it Why other poets like it or, or college folks Like it and it's because You know, uh, if you don't know what Slam poetry is, you get a a diving score for your poem, and then you're kind of writing and performing your poems to get those high points. So you can guilt the audience into a high score. And the minute you start talking about awful traumas that have happened to you, they're like, well, I can't give him a six for getting his ass beat at age three. Uh, Oh, boy. So it's it's become this, it's a strange commodification of the art through this strange point system interesting
0: i didn't know i've never been to a slam ever you
1: gotta go you gotta go is that true? you gotta Into sign fun? up <laughs> i um, will sign up it's like it's like a drinking game like if you sit in the back and, and can be near friends and whisper and go like oh god right. oh that is a painful line you know if you see 20 people you're going to see one good person well maybe it's like certain comedy open mics i don't know but i think you'd have a blast if you had the right mindset I, honestly, that's an you know what's funny is that I'll bet you
0: like what you just said, Jeremy, by the way, yeah Jeremy Raiden is a great poet, and mm. uh we both love him, he's so great, and I need to check in with him because I love that guy, actually, I don't have him on the show he's he's the best um but um that perspective is one from a poet, and so it makes sense but i I can tell you that I didn't even. When I think of slam poetry, I don't even think of a poetry slam. I didn't mm-hmm. think of competitive poetry. I guess I didn't even realize it was competitive poetry. And so what you say makes total sense to me. But, but for me, I want people to be themselves in their creativity. So seeing someone discuss trauma isn't what bugs me. Matter of fact, your poetry and uh, Jeremy's and some of y'all's friends what I love about what you do is that it's specific to you. Um, personally, I could I could say for me, and I think a a, a lot of people who aren't very familiar with performance poetry, um, what I don't like about quote slam poetry is the cadence. And, oh yeah, um, that jazz cadence. Totally. That like screaming and I'm, you know what I mean? I'm here. I'm important. I'm dumb and I'm loud. It's just when they uh, told me
1: I'd never be a great bowler. I said, <laughs> I'll show you uh, yeah, that sort of
0: thing. <laughs> and that's actually not that bad. I, uh, and again, it's just like with anything, it's like, if you're being you fine, but there is this sort of like stereotypical uh, I've been in the room at open mics with people who are bad at it doing that type of sing songy i demand your attention i'm a preacher but i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about cadence and i think that that's really awful to people the same way that improv is awful to people but then you see good improv and you're like oh whoa this is the best yeah. thing i've ever seen in my life
1: totally And you know I, I-
0: sorry the, the sorry to interrupt but the Honestly, until I met Jeremy, I I really did think all poetry was that, and I feel stupid and judgmental and uh, like a dick about it because I saw Jeremy perform, and I was like, "Oh, performance poetry can be like this." I had I I had no idea.
1: It's it's, and now I love it. Your highs and lows in a poetry show are kind of different than a than a comedy show, where most comedy shows are pretty bearable and pretty fun. But a poetry show Could either be like Fucking enlightening Oh my god I, I can't believe I wept and cried Or it can be like The worst time of your life And you're doing a friend a favor Just to be there And it's it, the highs and lows Seem more massive Also I was going to say I wonder if there's a metric You could watch For people tuning in and we've talked about slam poetry so much. I wonder if you could just see it drop off. Oh, this dude's a slam poet. He was introduced as a slam poet. I'm, I'm in and out at work. Fuck this guy.
0: That's so funny. Like, like, I was obviously making a joke when I called you alt-right slam poet. But I love the idea that someone, they were like you know, I'll give the all right thing a chance, but they heard slam poet and just immediately fucking tuned out. <laughs> I can't even, I don't give a shit. Fuck this Finally, whole podcast.
1: I, I want to hear Dave Ross come at this. <laughs> all right Guy. I know he's brought him on to tear him up. Oh, wait, <laughs> they're smiling.
0: I will also say though, a combination alt-right slam poet might be the, the kind of thing where two wrongs make a right. Only in the sense that like, like I don't want a car to crash and I don't want a car to explode. But if a car crashes so hard that it explodes, that's really interesting.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then you throw a third thing in there, like, um, uh, Baptist or something. Oh boy. (laughs) You're going to get a really fun little buffet.
0: Yeah. Just a fun guy. (laughs) Um, I will, I wonder, um, if, your okay to to give a little background about you 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 made your bones as a poet right a poet and a writer and you came up in that world and then later started comedy
1: is that true i I started in magic uh in uh, the fairy farm uh, I was really at the magic shop at Knott's Berry farm. And then isn't that what the, Steve
0: Martin did? I feel like I keep interrupting you. I'm sorry, but you're no, saying all no. these things that excite me.
1: <laughs> it's, it's a great question. Uh, Steve Martin did match shop at Disneyland, but okay. he worked the melodrama theater at Knott's Berry farm and he went back and forth.
0: Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Is yeah. that why you started magic
1: at Knott's Berry farm? No, I started because I loved David Copperfield. I was hot for that dude. <laughs> That's so and, cool. And so I started with Close-Up Magic, and I became Derek the Dynamic, and I would do parties and churches, and then I got into bird tricks and stuff like that. And then bird I was tricks. like, all right, my goal is to be the first Christian magician to kind of change the Las Vegas Strip. I'm going to get my own show there, but it's to kind of have a good message. And then war broke out, and I was like, I should probably join the Army. War's about to break out. So when I was 18, I went airborne. And when I got out, I got into poetry. What? Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Classic Man. story.
0: You just said you just described the world's most interesting life. And then you turned 18. <laughs> you're like, I don't even mean to kiss your ass. But like you're a Christian magician who's going to change Vegas. And then you join the army. And then you're a poet. I mean, wow. Well, I, I didn't change. I didn't know any of these things. Okay. Wait. So. Um,
1: yeah. So I get out, I start doing poetry.
0: Wait, but uh, before that, I, you were oh, a Christian magician.
1: Yeah. Before the army.
0: I was not, are you still Christian? No. Okay. Well, I'm curious then how that fell away.
1: Oh, uh, interesting questions. Uh, so when I got in the army, There was so many different types of, in my battalion, I was in airborne artillery. So we'd throw cannons out of planes, they'd throw us out of planes. And we had dudes from Panama and uh, Vietnam and uh, Uh, Brooklyn, places I'd never been in my unit. And of course, you had so much time in foxholes and stuff that we would chat about everything. And the more we talked, the more I felt my mind going, I don't know if I believe this thing that it's been handed to me uh when i get out of here i'm just going to be open to whatever i went to a catholic camp after i got out of the army to see if i wanted to be catholic i went to a mormon church and then afterwards i was like i don't i don't think i want to do any of this what was your
0: religion your specific brand of christianity
1: free methodist okay which means you could play you two songs at the worship services (laughs) what is it? What I don't. You, it means you you, uh, you can have a guitar in church, unlike four square churches. Uh, oh, uh, or or Church of Christ has no music, but you could have electric guitars in the worship services for Free Methodist. Oh. They still weren't down with homosexuality or um, or I don't know or women pastors, but oh. um, they were like you, you can you can kick a little you two every now and then. We're pretty cool. Um, yeah, once again, I, I just
0: wish that they would keep... I guess it doesn't matter. I don't know why I'm hung up. I don't need people to be easy to categorize. I just wish I could spot the hateful pieces of shit. You know what I mean? Don't have a guitar. Don't be vegan. So I can look at you and be like, I'm not going to come within 100 yards of that motherfucker. Anyway.
1: Yeah. The, the strangest thing is that like that church would say, hey, we accept you. We just don't like the sin you're doing. But hey, we're all sinning. And I'm like, afterwards, I'm like, this don't feel right. This does yeah. not feel right.
0: You were you were raised free methodist, I would imagine. Yeah.
1: yeah, my dad was a hardcore southern texas dude and so we went to we went to crazy churches, dude. We went to those churches that pushed no rock and roll because of there's backwards masking and they'd have a backwards masking service at a place called melody land and Eagle's nest. And they'd scare you by showing you pictures of Ozzy Osbourne blood coming out of his mouth. Like the devil's inside this guy who's going to be a dad on TV someday. Um, wow. It was, it was horrifying. And they'd always talk end time stuff End times is coming. Yeah. So it was like a uh, fear based when I was super young, And then they got like more like, let's be more help the community when I became a teenager. And then I was like, none of this rings true when I got out.
0: What is backwards masking? Oh
1: my God, dude, you're going to go down a rabbit hole. You're going to love this. So um, on the white album, uh, you know, the most demon spawn (laughs) rock and roll band of all time, the Beatles, um, they have a song that, uh, if you play it backwards, you hear it, number nine, number nine, number nine, number oh, nine. Yeah. So they just started, and they're like, well, number nine upside down, six, six, six. Uh, although it's like 26s. Um, oh, and um, and then I think if you play a certain track, you hear oh, Led Zeppelin's uh, play backwards, you hear, just my sweet sing, just my sweet sing. And so they're like, what's happening? is these record labels are ran by these money hungry dudes that hire these artists that worship the devil. And they're trying to hide the devil worship to get your teenagers loving Satan instead of Jesus or, or, or whoever. Um, so you have to get, you have to burn these records. And it was, it was awesome, crazy fucking time that I'm sure all of them are like, Oh, we really fucked up on that one. Uh, None of this is true. Yeah. Did So did you have, like,
0: maybe this is the dumbest question of all time, but did you have, like, bonfires where you burned <laughs> this music?
1: So at the Eagle's Nest, you would bring your cassettes or your vinyls because sweeties weren't out yet, and you would uh, – this is, like, the late 80s. And then you would burn them kind of like they did at that baseball – Uh, prank in I think Chicago or Milwaukee where you uh, where they burned all the disco records they would do that with all the rock and roll records or worldly albums any band that possibly uh, wore leather or looked like you know motorhead or something you would burn those records and here's the freaky thing is that they'd say you know sometimes if you listen to it you could hear the demon screaming but I'm sure it was just vinyl or was it or was it dave dave ross
0: damn that's a good point man or was it what if there are your name in vinyl whoa (laughs) surveyed yeah i remember so when i was to date both you and me i was in eighth grade uh, in 1996. And, um, and I remember that year, maybe the year before I remember we, it was recent that it came out. Green days. Dookie came out around then.
1: Oh my God. I saw them at, uh, K rocks weenie roast and he was totally naked playing the guitar. And I was like, what is this crazy act? (laughs)
0: how old were you then would you have still been a christian
1: no i i got out of the army i was like 94 maybe 95 and i was like what, or maybe 96 between 94 and 96 and i was like i don't know uh, this is so weird it kind of looks like punk rock but i can hear every lyric (laughs) right in no way does this feel like in tsol or anything
0: (laughs) Totally. That's the fun thing about pop punk, isn't it? Where it's like, it seems like punk, but they're not mad. They're sad and they hate themselves instead of the government.
1: Um, this seems like these guys are going to get a house out of playing this music. <laughs> we never could
0: have guessed <laughs> how internationally super famous Billy Joe Armstrong would be. Yeah. So much so that what's his name? One of the other two Trey cool or Mike. Dirt? <laughs> Is his name Dirt? Dirt. <laughs> dirt. Um one of them owns that great diner in in Berkeley. Have you been in that place? Um Rudy's Rudy's Can't Fail Diner? No. Um yeah, it's a ska-themed diner with Good Eggs Benedict. You know what I mean? Who would have thought that Pop Punk about jerking off would turn into Eggs Benedict in Berkeley one day?
1: <laughs> dude, I'll skank for some Benedict, dude. <laughs> Any day, dude. Some
0: Good Eggs. Also, my I don't know about you, but my pie-in-the-sky dream retirement scenario has always been to get big enough in comedy that uh, – people give a shit. Ideally, not so big that everyone gives a shit. You know what I mean? I don't want to have a hard time though. The fact uh, that that would be a good problem to have either way. But um, the ideal pie in the sky retirement scenario for me has been to like make it happen in comedy, have a solid fan gate, fan gaze, you know, you know, where fan John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. To be John Wayne Gacy and you know, <laughs> just kill Kill the people I go out with. Uh, and um, anyway, well, uh, no, like get to a point where I'm like safe and good. And I have a fan base and, uh, and then like fuck off out of Hollywood and move to a smaller city that I've been going to a lot on tour that I really love where I have friends and just make a little home there and have a little bar venue where I can throw shows and my friends can perform at when they come through and I can perform whenever I want. Because I'm big enough in comedy that the people there think it's cool, but it's also not a big deal. I've always had this dream. Who knows if I'll get that or not? And then I went to Rudy's Can't Fail Cafe in Berkeley, and I was like, fuck a bar, man. I want an Eggs Benedict Diner where I do shows in the basement. That's what
1: I want. Truly. Um uh- Two things we have similar dream- <laughs> we have similar dreams. The second thing is I had the best breakfast of my life yesterday that like Whoa. messed me up. Like I bit into it, and I just started uh, saying "fuck" and um, it <laughs> We're- felt so good. I'd want it every day. It's here in Portland, the the um, the food capital of America. Yeah, and it's called Fair Weather. And what it is, it's this me uh, sort of like Asian bun where they roast it on the outside and put sesame seeds and sea salt. Then In the insides, this perfect little omelet with a little shiitake mushrooms and a miso aioli. And you bite into that. And then you, you cream. Oh my God, dude. Messed me so up. Good. Yeah. Oh my God. And, and like these churro kind of French cruller donuts, man, I was messed up. I
0: go, I'm breakfast crazy. I would eat breakfast for breakfast lunch and dinner every day if i could and when i'm on the road the main thing i want to do everybody well not everybody but like a lot of people you go on tour with you know they want to see whatever is happening in that city they want to see the thing they want to go on hikes the museum whatever go to the like place the locals go i don't i do not want to do those things I Look, I like nature and stuff, and I'll do that stuff if I have time. But what I want to do on tour is I want to get to the city, do the show, go get drunk with the people from the show, and then I want to go to bed, sleep till 2 p.m., wake up, walk in the city until I find a diner and eat breakfast there. That's all oh, I want to do. Gonna, I thought
1: you were going to say head straight to Six Flags. <laughs>
0: That would be so funny. I want to do the same thing in every city. I want to get to the venue. I want to do the show. I want to get drunk. I want to sleep in. I want to ride Superman. And then I want to go to the next city. Obviously.
1: (laughs) Um, Hey, by the way, um, speaking of that dream, I I wrote this dream down, which is my dream is to settle in. uh, It's a little more specific. Hood River uh oh. which is outside it's this beautiful place with a uh you know huge columbia river and then little rivers you can swim in all around it and then it's um, not too small of a town about an hour from the airport and then open up a small venue called love a bar called love with a venue in it and when you're in it big neon sign that says you're in love and then when you leave it says you're all out of love and then air supply plays anytime you open or close the door Um, with it, just like a 50-person venue. And then I'm so big in comedy uh, (laughs) that no longer am I opening up for rock bands, but for fun, I have a band open up for me, and then everyone's there to see me do my shit instead of me struggling for attention. Uh, That part of the dream
0: (laughs) is the most important part. (laughs) That's what I want. I want that exact same thing. Those specifics are obviously different, but wouldn't that be so nice to just, I remember, you know what made me think of this dream? Years ago, probably a decade ago, Paul F. Tompkins posted on Facebook some or on Twitter somewhere. He was like, the Paul F. Tompkins 300. Do you remember this? No. The PFT 300 was, I will go to any city on tour if you can guarantee 300 people will come.
1: Oh my gosh, that... Um Musician from Page of the Lion did that too, but with 100 oh. people. Oh, yeah.
0: I would definitely do 100. I, I think
1: <laughs> oh my <And> God. 100. <laughs> I did it for whatever. I did a JetBlue yeah. tour because uh, JetBlue changed their policy where, you know, because they didn't want, they'd want to say husband or wife gets a pass. So they're like partner. So my friend's like, hey, want to be my partner for a year? And I was like, okay. Cause I can yeah. only change it for one year. So I was her fake partner and I did a tour of every, anywhere JetBlue flew to, I would go and do a show. So I wow. did 30 shows and they were 12, all at were, LaGuardia. They were all so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. it was, They were all at the, the T T one JetBlue <laughs> <laughs> terminal. It was me, Taylor Swift, uh, just playing our hearts out. It was so good. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so okay, you um it's funny like I don't want to get I have all these questions man because um you know I know about your poetry and your comedy, but your like early life just blew my mind. I so I have I, I don't know. I don't know uh, where to start. So I guess I just I just I'm saying I want to remember um to make sure to talk about poetry and comedy for a second, but to go back a little, um magic and Christianity and the military, like this is your teenage years, right? How yeah. how did you get into all of that? I mean, I guess, you know, the mm. the Christianity was given to you by your family, but you still had to receive it to enough of a degree to want to be a Christian magician.
1: Yeah, because, you know, I, I believed that there were way So I had a youth pastor that was, mm-hmm. I didn't have a dad in my life. Okay. So this youth pastor was kind of like the dude, the awesome dude figure. His name was Don Rogers. And he used magic to say like, Hey, um, I know you don't like memorizing these verses in the Bible, but if you can memorize this passage and do this little discipleship book, I, every time I'll show you a close-up effect and then I'll teach you how to do it. And, I was, and he showed first one was the rubber band trick. And I was like, what the f-? two rubber bands pierced through each other. Uh, and sure. I was like, I'll learn all this shit, but it was like, you know kind of candy like luring me in and i was oh. so i i kind of like started to enjoy the poetry and psalms and proverbs and then i started to enjoy the magic too but i never really cared about the secret i was like i want to make someone feel that we're living among miracles uh just for a second but it turns out most people are like yeah i see the string. Or whatever. I was like, okay, there's got to be a way to convince people that there we are living, uh, surrounded by our bodies, a miracle. Um, So that that was my goal at the time. And then
0: that's fascinating um, too, because you're like, the layers of that are really interesting to me. Because, like, not to be too cynical, because. While I don't really believe in God, I also don't think it's crazy to believe in God. you know, i I, I think the idea of faith is is interesting, and i I respect people to do it as long as they don't you know, kill people Entrench. with it, yeah, <laughs> uh, but, like, you know, faith requires believing in things you can't see, oh yeah, and, and magic is the knowledge that you're tricking people into believing something you yourself know isn't real. So you are like using a trick to convince people of the thing that you believe is real, but you know, this trick isn't real. The layers of that are very fascinating to me.
1: Well, especially if you ever worked at a church or synagogue, like you start to go like, all right, we're going to play this organ music that's kind of sad. We never play upbeat when we're taking the money. Sad gets more money, and we need money to get this going. So there's showmanship <clears throat> happening all around you, and, and and it's all justified in some way, like that Crystal Cathedral in uh, Orange County. If you go to it, the, the justification was like, hey, if we build this crazy monument like they used to do for Notre Dame and all that, people will come to see it. And if we spend these millions of dollars that our followers have given us, it might make more millions of dollars that might help us help more people someday. So all of the showmanship is justified in like future returns. And so you're like, th- this is some, some sort of mental uh, warping instead of saying, hey, let's not put in a million dollar sound system. Let's let's house the homeless let's spend 500,000 on the homeless and let's pay our salaries. You know, there there, are, there aren't those discussions happening. So um, when wow. you go to a church, you see like pastors who are depressed have to put on a show. And so you're like, Oh, there's a lot of kind of um, window dressing stuff. Yeah. yeah.
0: Wow. And it just sort of trickled on down to you as a magician. That's so interesting. And yeah, so when and- you, when you lost your faith, I don't know if that's an intense way to say it, but was it? I know people who I I have one friend in particular who I've talked to about this. Who like when he lost his faith, it like really fucked him up. It like completely his. It was like a major part of his life. It was a a a buddy of mine who grew up um in and out of group homes because of uh, difficulties his mother and father were having in different ways, and uh, and the group homes were very Christian in some form and he held on to christianity and then at some point he lost his faith and he told me it basically like shattered him and he had to pick his entire identity back up and his understanding of the world um was it like that for you or some version of that
1: well this was a strange time so 92 93 is when i went through my catharsis or whatever with religion where i'm in the military i'm in the 82nd airborne i'm in north carolina and You know, it it, was, you weren't allowed to say if you were gay at the time. And I think the gay issue made me feel like I've got to choose a side, either the side that believes this is a crazy sin and you're nuts and you just love taking it in the butt and you're weird and you'll get over it and you need therapy, or the side that says, hey, you're legit and I believe in you and you're a a good dude. So we had gay soldiers in my battery that got found out and kicked out. And when Clinton came on and said, hey, I'm gonna try and change this, there was a lot of pushback from generals who were like, you better not, it's gonna cause butt fucking in the foxholes. And then, um, and he's like, all right, well, let me, let me, let me, adjust this a little bit and say, you can be gay, but you can never say you're gay. Cause that's, uh, that might hurt someone's feelings. Yeah. So that don't ask, don't tell policy caused people start getting fired. If you were caught kissing, if you were caught like, uh, arm around another guy, when you're not just drunk or whatever, they could bust oh, into your uh, bunk room and say, you're gay, you're out. And uh, it was that easy. So when two guys from our um, artillery battery got booted, I was like, this is fucking not right. And those were awesome dudes. And I didn't know they were in love. I thought they were chummy, but they claimed they were caught in a bump together. So they booted them. And I was like, I don't think I believe in this anymore. So it didn't shatter me. I was just like, oh, um, I think my parents aren't going to, love me as much uh so that was the only strange feeling sure
0: wow i i will say that it sounds like it helps if the thing taking your faith away is people being shitty (laughs) (laughs) that's definitely gotta help you move on though i'll also say i love at the beginning of this episode before i brought you on i went on a little rant about potato head and people caring about that and I will say, there's this, butt fucking in foxholes feels similar. Terrifying, <laughs> yeah, right. What I'm—that's the thing—is it like while I don't mean to totally make light of it, because I understand that this entire line of discussion is difficult for queer people in general, because it's a reminder that there are people that are shitty, and I don't want to make light of that, but. Removing that from the occasion, uh, from the uh, equation, somebody giving a damn that they're butt fucking in foxholes is really funny.
1: <laughs> well, what, what, what's it's funny and sad at the same time because it it was like everyone was like, "Who gives? No one's going to be like oh 'Oh, I'm not gay, so I'm going to have my eye down down my M16.' Do not." <laughs> just start butt-fucking me while I'm looking for the enemy. And that is what I'm really worried about. And I know all of us soldiers are worried about that, too. It was so asinine. But there were shootings on on so many bases because people were like, the military's changing. And some of them were, 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 were these base shootings where people were like, well, I guess I'm not going to retire and get butt-fucked. So I'm just going to shoot my way. Through this you know, uh, Marching platoon going past And it was like what the fuck Is going on and you couldn't believe it And you can't even imagine I mean if someone wasn't around at that time You just kind of had your head Down you're like this is a very sad way That we are but how do you change This and it was kind of cool like oh that's cool Clinton's going to change this because none of us really Care but then it was like Oh the people who did care came Out of the woodwork like in this like in the Trump era where people are like, oh, the, right. I, I can be a creeper in public now? And you're like, oh, man, I can't believe I didn't realize how awful this homophobia was. And yeah. now they're all coming out of the woodwork with weapons.
0: So when you say there were shootings on bases, you mean like the way that there are school shootings? Like people, there were mass shootings?
1: We had three mass shootings at my base, and one was at a restaurant. So there was this guy... <laughs> I wonder what the rest of the podcast episodes that you do are like. It's like, are we supposed to laugh during this thing? Is anything going to be funny? Let me tell you about this base murder that happened. (laughs) Jeez Louise. All of the things I make, dude, are, are,
0: uh, go exactly like this. Five minutes of base murder. (laughs) <laughs> One minute of uh, like a, a joke about base murder somehow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I was just trying to be like fucking in foxholes. These assholes making that up, caring about that. What about murder? That's basically oh, my show. Let's shows. get into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. And yeah, people yeah. are like, you're going to get, it's like a prank to say, you got to check out good heroin. You are going to get, you're <laughs> yeah. going to have a, the giggles. <laughs> 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 yeah. All uh, I want to do here, is make here here I am. I'm going to talk about skulls exploding. Um, but no, it, these, these people who were homophobic on base were soldiers, and then they'd do shootings, but they weren't shooting up gay nightclubs. They weren't going to bathhouses or secret underground uh, fuck zones. They would just go to restaurants and be, and then just have a bunch of ammunition and blah, 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 and have a note in their pocket being like, you know, oh. this military is going in the wrong direction and and you're like they were just killing kids and other civilians i mean and civilians even though they weren't civilian and it was uh, some people would be sniping on different parts of the base and everyone's like why was this guy sniping it's like oh because of uh clinton's new policies you're like about letting homosexuals carry rifles and give their lives you fucking moron yeah um geez it it, it felt so senseless so i was like uh any religion that doesn't think this is these people are worthwhile, I, I'm not into it.
0: I wow. Well, first of all, good for you. I'm um, a oh, good guy, right? I know. I I was I was thinking like, uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. We're two straight guys. Make sure you know they're not homophobic. Look at us, we're but heroes. Sure <laughs> looks
1: good on you.
0: <laughs> um, I um. No, but truly, though, that's good. And yeah, I mean, what else could you have done but left, especially if people are getting murdered? Uh, I guess I just didn't realize, you know, I'm aware of how heated things are now. I forget that um, there were periods in the 90s where I, I like was a, I was a kid in the 90s. And I remember hearing about, quote, feminazis and uh stuff like that but i rush
1: limbaugh started that he did rest in turns
0: (laughs) oh my god i just didn't remember that it was that bad um damn so yeah you lost your faith um and i want to say that he started butt fucking in foxholes (laughs) yes well that term just got me man i just think that's the funniest did someone say that to you they're gonna be butt fucking i mean i i'm just i guess i'm i'm trying to i don't want to harp on it but i I, i'm trying to like i guess what i'm trying to express is that on the one hand there's the fact that these like conservative uh judgmental anti-acceptance people are like hurting people, um, of all groups. But then then also there's the other side of it where their logic is so flawed that it's hilarious. This they're gonna is be one of the,
1: fucking in Fox. They're gonna they're gonna paint the tanks pink. This <laughs> was this was the deepest of concerns. It was never like really? well, what what do the gays want? Why do they want to help our military? Uh, Are they trying to change it? What 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 is their goal? There was no like thoughtful discussion. The discussion always came down to that analogy, which was, um, "Are imagine yourself in a foxhole. Let's say it comes down, bullets start flying. You're going to want a woman in there, homosexual, or like your battle buddy. You're like (laughs) uh, whoever's good with a gun or a weapon. uh, That's all. You've been shot at. I don't think about shit like that. I. Jesus. i crawled under machine gun fire you piece of <laughs> shit now get your dick sucked and reload the m60 you're like
0: fucking your sergeant uh while you're having this conversation um man okay so uh you leave and so man so you're like all at once same time fuck god fuck the military and fuck magic i'm a slam poet now and no <laughs> oh
1: <my God. laughs> Jesus Christ!
0: no no. how'd poetry I, come in where'd that happen
1: well it was a trip so um i got out two months early before my uh tour was up so i could start college and um my this woman i met in a class named usually was like hey do you want to go to a coffee shop to go do the open mic and i was like i don't know what any of this is coffee served at mcdonald's and denny's uh <laughs> Yeah. Is it like a pie shop What? Do you, what's going on here I I'd had no idea And she's like we're all going to take turns getting on stage And just sharing things I was like what for I've so <laughs> learned to, bear, to bury everything Inside And uh and then there was a guy playing Nirvana songs, and then there was someone screaming. One guy took off his clothes and was doing a poem, and it was it was a wild time for. And wow, it was all, all me. <laughs> 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 and uh, I, then I put on another mustache, and then <laughs> yeah. I did puppetry. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But it wow. was uh, that's how it all started. And I I heard a guy do a poem. I was like, I wrote some cool poems in the army and then oh. just, uh, while i was sitting in the foxholes and they yeah. were i was rewriting psalms i was trying to make them more understandable and uh and they're really bad but people encouraged me and they were like super hippie dippy into drugs i was like crew cut and i was like you guys accept me you do and uh so i just started hanging out with all these hippie dippy artist types and it, it changed me
0: wow draft dodgers
1: I, <laughs> liberals
0: yeah man long hairs yeah exactly you're <laughs> hanging out with all these long hairs Oh, they're wearing camo they don't even know what it's like to be in the in the shit with um
1: yeah. Need you know push. the rest of the
0: references i don't even yeah. i don't even know what they are anymore um man i love that so then were you still doing magic there's just so
1: <laughs> so too much so I um, stopped doing magic. But at, at the time, when I was a teenager, my buddy Buzzy and I would encourage each other. We went to that Buzzy. same church. Yeah, his name was Buzzy Ennis. And so we both uh, said, like, all right, we have to name each other, and then we'll make business cards. But don't say what the other person's name is, and then we'll make the business card together. and We'll figure out the name. So um, I came to him, and I said, your name from now on will be Mr. Fire the Mystifier. He's like, cool. oh, that's really good, dude, because we used Firefox. I go, what's my name? He goes, Derek the Dynamic. I was like, mm, fuck. All right, <laughs> fine.
0: You uh, did not like Derek the Dynamic.
1: And he's like, it has a k- k- sound at the end. Sure. So I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> um, Man, bummer. So I stopped doing magic, and I uh, I started meeting other writers that were really good. And I was and I was naive, and I went to one named Jeffrey McDaniel, and I said, "Hey, will you show me how to make this writing good?" And he's like, "Absolutely." And he took me under his wing. And I started to really care about editing and crafting and making my own chapbooks and my own art and all that. And so it was weird back then. You called up a person that you got a number from someone else and said, hey, San Francisco, hey, Berkeley, um, if I mailed you my chapbook and a one sheet about me that I made at Kinko's, uh, could I possibly get a gig up there? And you try and string together gigs by mailing out all this stuff from calling no. people it was a pain in the ass it was so rough what
0: um era would this have been in what year this
1: this was 95 through uh 2000 and that
0: so that's when you were touring as an up and coming poet
1: well what i would do is that the show is really serious i do super funny, silly co- uh, poetry. And then i throw some comedy stories in there. And if the show was just off the rails, then I'd do really heavy stuff. Oh. And then if I featured, I'd blend the two together.
0: Who, what, if you're unfamiliar, if you're listening and you're unfamiliar, featuring is middling, it's opening. It's like a feature act oh. in stand-up is the one who comes before the headliner. Most people know that, but I like to clarify just in case. Um, but as a, a poet, or I guess like a a variety act that you were. Who would you be featuring for?
1: Uh, so uh, <clears throat> uh, it was other poets. So okay. at the time, Beth Lissick and Bucky Sinister. Uh, Bucky Sinister now does comedy in L.A. Oh, I know uh, he, Bucky. I've known oh, Bucky a long
0: time. Yeah, man. Oh well, because God. he had that stand up show in in San Francisco. That is it. The business at the dark room that was my first time ever doing stand up outside of LA was that show. Oh yeah. And I love man, not only not to I don't want to get too derailed uh on your story, but not only have I always been fascinated by Bucky because he's such a great performer, such a great storyteller. Also, you know, you come in and out of Um, not like fandom of someone, but like someone living in your brain as like an artist you think about. And so Bucky was someone I really liked. And then my life went on and I didn't see him for a while or think about it. And then, you know how it is in LA. LA, we're so inundated with content that it's impossible to get people to go to. I'll I'll be on shows where where Maria Bamford's on. There's free pizza. It's free to be in there. There's free parking and no one's at the fucking show. And so- the business, you know, when we come back from quarantine is Mondays in the back room of the little side room of the Little Joy, and um, I just, like, walk in there, and the, you know the Little Joy, they, like, cannot turn the music down. I do not understand
1: this problem. <laughs> they I, think that door is soundproof. <laughs> yeah, and they also, I
0: think, do the people in that bar want the music to be that loud? At what age did I ever want to never hear anything? I, like, I know I'm old now and that I prefer sitting quietly and hearing about your day, but I fucking, even when I was 25, I think I wanted to be able to order a drink. Anyway,
1: Um so wait be- before we get off that rail, uh-huh. I did one of my worst sets of my life at Little Joy because oh. Bucky Bucky asked me to come do a set there, and I and I got there and I hadn't seen him in a while. And, and if you don't know, Bucky Sinister's like this kind of like Hunter S. Thompson, kind yeah. a guy with a gruff <laughs> voice who used to do all the drugs and fight at shows and shit, and put out books and do comedy and stuff. And um, he he was uh, I bought his books before I knew him, and then became pals. But um, he, and when I got on stage, I was like, oh, man, it's so great to see you. Remember when you came to my deathbed when I was in the hospital? You asked me how I was doing. And I was like, my mom thinks I'm, wants to make sure I'm not going to hell. And you just, ah, you just laughed about it. <laughs> and I started to just reminisce and not do a set and it was dead quiet i was just talking to him was for like five or six minutes and i think i had an eight or nine minute set to maybe 10 and uh i i got lost and i was like laughing inside stuff that no one gave a shit about like right now <laughs> oh man and i was like oh sorry dude he's like it's all right man you'll tighten it up you'll tighten it up like,
0: oh. <laughs> oh that's so sweet of him too but also i'll bet you that I mean, maybe that felt like a bad set to you. My guess is that there weren't as many laughs as you would have liked. But but in that back room of that loud bar with a metal door that is not soundproof, where four people crawl into on a weekly basis to see an amazing show that way more people should be in there. I'll bet you that you relating in an inside way to Bucky was a really special thing for them to see
1: because honestly like
0: yeah well that's that's the thing is that i the thing when i i saw bucky at the business and the thing that i was reminded of is that it's always special when you see him perform and i was just he must have told a 17 minute story and i i like didn't I wasn't distracted for a single moment of it. Mm. And there were like five people in the room and he was just sitting down and he's like, the story includes him being a junkie and then not being a junkie and like famous people and all this crazy shit. And um, everyone was enthralled. And so it might've been great. It just wasn't one of those sets. Like everyone might've been like completely captivated. They just didn't laugh.
1: I will say, non-subjectively it was (laughs) doo-doo okay great well
0: you know a bomb's a bomb uh i holy shit here's a question especially i'm especially interested in uh in your answer to this since you have been uh not not near all your performances were comedy have you ever bombed a full headlining set and if Uh, so how
1: long Comedy was that or just bomb? Poetry or both?
0: Whatever. I'll say okay. this. Two times I've bombed a full headlining set. One time was 40 full minutes in Louisville, Kentucky. Another time was a full hour in St. Louis. <laughs> and um, and this is this is the reason I like to ask ask the question, because it's such a uniquely terrible feeling that it doesn't even feel bad. It's like like they say when you get shot it's not even painful because the shock is so extreme. That's I like just walked on stage up. in Louisville and was like, I, I, I feel like I just got hit by a fucking train. And people were like, Hey, and I was like,
1: who, huh? <laughs> uh, sorry, two, two, two sorry. times out of the many times. Um, one time was, uh, I was booked. It was like an awesome f- set. It was Dan Van Kirk, Brian Posehn, Eric Andre, myself. It was a great <laughs> right. it was it was in Houston, it was called Louder Than a Bomb or Comedy Bomb or it's funny that Bomb was in the name. But it was a I mean, perfect storm. Uh do you know of this festival? Oh, Houston? was it
0: Come and Take It? The Come and Take It comedy Takeover?
1: That's it. That's it. Yeah. I don't know why. I thought it was a cannon, not a bomb. Um, the
0: cannon is the uh, logo. Yeah. And yeah. I've done that festival opening for our mutual friend, Kyle Kinneit.
1: Oh, great. Well, yeah. I was going on in one room and then the next was the the main, the main feature was uh, Eric Andre, which everyone was excited to see. And yeah. um, so they had a cool thing where it's big room, not as big room. And uh, I was in the not as big room. And so you didn't have to like, have a turnover. It was almost like a rotating stage. So you yeah. finish, and then in two minutes, the next show began. And everyone's just jazz the whole time, right? So I'm getting ready to go out there, and they go, "Hey, what? How long's your set?" And I was like, 30 minutes." And I like, "Could you could you cut it down to twenty? We're running a little late." And I was like, "Yeah, no problem." And they go, "Also, we have a local guy. He." He really rarely wants to perform. He's one of our friends. Can he just go up there and do a quick four minutes right before you? I was like, uh. So you want? Do you want me to cut my set down to fifteen? And they're like, no, 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 don't do a full twenty, but uh, twenty, twenty-five. But um, just can he go out? So the dude goes out before me. He talks really southern and slow. Twelve minute set. And um, and as I go out, people are getting their chairs for Eric Andre, and everyone's slowly leaving. As I come out, I was like, "Hello!" <laughs> oh, until no. <laughs> until the room was empty, and I still had ten minutes left to do to get paid. And um, and it was it was pure pain. Uh, where this girl that I liked uh, was sitting there, and my cousin was sitting there, and that was it. And I was like. Uh, do you, how, 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 do I fucking do this? It was awful. The other wow. time was I was opening, I opened up for bands sometimes, and this was opening up for rival sons. And, Whoa. um, yep. I know uh, Yeah, the nice dudes, man. And, um, we were in Europe and, uh, they were like thousand, five thousand seat venues or standing venues. So it, it could go really bad because, I don't do arena comedy, of course. So um, I remember coming out on stage in um, Frankfurt and I was like, all right, uh, you guys want some rock and roll? "Ah." I was like, I want to do a poem about my dad first. (laughs) And a uh, pint glass comes out right next to my head. And I was like, holy shit. And then another (laughs) cup comes up. I was like, "Oh my god, this is uh, this is like what bands go through." But I haven't played any notes yet, and uh, and so I'm trying to dodge while I'm trying to get to the first opening jokes. But it was it just fucks up my head, and I was like, "Fucking! All right, you you stayed on stage, dude. I stayed I stayed on stage, and I was like, I, I gotta I I gotta leave. Uh, I, but the problem was the way it's set up is that." I, I i stayed out there because the band wasn't ready to go on they would just be playing music and uh, so the lead singer came out and sat on the drum kit to make sure no one threw cups anymore and to calm them down i was like okay uh so this is not a funny mood out here and it was just like noise i was just talking into noise the whole time that, that was rough city damn man
0: They couldn't even appreciate the irony. Like, clearly it was a joke. You're ready to rock. I'm going to tell a poem about my dad. Like,
1: come (laughs) on. (laughs) I I think when you're drunk and you want, like, powerful rock and roll, you don't want to hear someone talking to you, you know, sometimes. (laughs) That's why I want it reversed, where, like, the band comes out and everyone's like, give us the weird stuff, which is like, that's why it's great to tour with, like, Eugene Merman or or Kurt Braunohler because everyone's like, we're down for all weird stuff, whatever you got, dude. I
0: love man, I love that. You said that I am so interested in, um, I've, I've only toured. I've like done short tours with a friend and I've opened for people, but mostly I tour alone and mm-hmm. I, um, I'm, I'm really interested in touring not just with comedians is I guess what I want to say. I guess what I'm really saying is the more I move on in comedy, the more I'm interested in uh, making comedy along with other art forms. Um, Me just doing the comedy. And I don't know what I'm trying to say. I like being in the music world. I like being in the poetry world. I like thinking of comedy as art. And I like creating an evening in which people have shown up to see art and they're just interested as opposed to a comedy crowd which can be great and is great so much of the time but it I don't know I'm just interested in the in the like difference in expectation.
1: Yeah. And like yeah. so when
0: you tour with Kurt or Eugene are you billed as a comedian or are you doing all of what you do?
1: I'm billed as a comedian uh well I'm billed as a poet because they th- you know, they think it's more interesting to say like, Hey, this is a poet that actually is funny instead of saying this comedian (laughs) dabbles in poetry. So I, that was actually Eugene and, and david cross's advice say hey you'll probably get more comedy sets and shows if you say hey i'm a poet that also does jokes then if you're like hey i'm a comedian and every now and then i throw a poem into the set because there's plenty of comedians i was like all right i'll try it that way but eugene is really good at curating the show you're talking about where he used to do the show at the bell house for the eugene merman comedy festival and one Mm -hmm. night was this uh weird opera singer dude with slideshow and then uh it'd be like janelle james and then michael ian black and then he'd have uh, a, a musical guest like uh i don't know the built to spill guy or something like that and then he'd have janine graffalo come out and then he'd have john benjamin do a sketch uh and then he'd have someone not as known me come out and then he'd, he'd close the night and everyone felt like I'm not burnt out, you know, I'm not, I'm not overlapped or whatever. It was really great.
0: That's so cool, man. And so is that what touring was like for you? I mean, I'm, I'm also fascinated by like, for me, touring, uh, leading into pan- into the pandemic, like touring in 2019 for me, it was especially, it was starting to get uh, a little easier. Finally, it was starting to be like, I had people showing up for me, Um, in enough of an amount where i could in some cities just totally do my own show and in other cities it was a little easier to fill up a room but but that even that was at the very beginning of that for me and in a lot of places that still wasn't the case even a little and all of my time touring leading up to then it was just me grinding out trying to get people in the room whether it was like working with a local promoter and relying on their crowd or just promoting the shit out of it in every way i possibly could social media trying to get articles whatever or just like doing so many shows just doing any show that i possibly could do and so my point is so many of these shows were in venues with people who didn't know what the fuck was going on they didn't know me maybe there weren't people there and they were just not ideal bar scenarios where i either surprised people by having a show at all or it was difficult to shit to do the show because the room wasn't conducive to it in its shape or there weren't enough people there in the room to get uh you know a uh, energy going mm-hmm. and so this is what comedy touring was like for me <laughs> and and like what's that like for a
1: poet what's the equivalent
0: for you coming up in touring that way
1: well I think it's better to have the mindset of a comedian where I feel like poets show up and hope for the hat to be passed. And I'm like, Oh, I want to know about the door and all that stuff and drink tickets. And uh, I'll, I'll have the mind of a comedian for the business stuff. And then I I own for, if I'm booked a comedy venue, I'll do 60, 40, or I'll do like, 70, 30, 70% jokes and stories, and then 30%. I'll interject a couple little poems in there um, so I don't overwhelm people with beauty. Um, (laughs) But touring, there's really only like six cities that I can fill a room in even after doing it this long so I think it's like Dallas, Amarillo, Portland, LA, New York, Chicago and I'm still if like if I'm trying to connect Chicago to Seattle Seattle's gonna be a lot of work Uh, Idaho's gonna be a lot of work Wyoming's gonna be a lot of work Iowa's gonna be a lot of work to get bodies there Uh, social media like writing like crazy so it's still still tough for me to do anything alone so I love touring with other people
0: well so then so you're here now, and you've been touring, what, for 15 years, 10, 15 years?
1: Uh, touring since 97, so I don't know how wow. long that is. Yeah, that's like 15 years almost. It wow. should be. No, I wait. should be packing out places by now. <laughs>
0: that's almost 25. Holy shit. Wow. I, so
1: I I, I guess I'm... I spent too much time just doing poetry shows, uh, trying to force feed my brand into a um, kind of this poetry world that wasn't going to grow a lot you know so right. when someone said hey you do funny stuff too and you tell jokes you should also do comedy shows and i was like all right let's see how it goes so that was like 8 years ago
0: oh wow okay interesting so until 8 years ago uh, 2012 13 14 um you were just touring as a poet and that's i guess what i'm i'm so curious about what are a poet who no one knows who they are but is touring what are those shows like where what's a I'll, okay in 2002 were you to tour through portland oregon where you are now what would the show have been like
1: so there was like two hot space or like four hot spaces performed in portland one was uh, or like right now is mother foucault's and so if okay. you get 50 people in mother foucault's bookshop it feels tight and packed
0: yeah. i think
1: i also did a place called tender loving empire which was like record store and they had some books and they do poetry shows another place was this uh silk screening place called um wow. I, f- I forget screening. what it was called yeah it's it's like a big warehouse they it's a non-profit that helps teach people how to Make their own books and posters and all kinds of stuff, and um, and that PMRC or something like that. Huh. The other one was you could get a smaller room at Revolution Hall, oh, and then wow. the other one that got like a hundred and twenty people was downtown. I think uh, Kyle and I were just talking about how, uh, or yeah, I think Kyle and I were talking about how. Uh, ground control bought this place called backspace or something like that. Mm. And at backspace, it was like a coffee shop venue. And I think ground control brought it and turned it into like a comedy venue now, which I haven't been to yet, but I'd, I'd get a show book there and I try and get a couple more or I do the Powell's uh, reading. Oh, and wow. come,
0: Powell's books. Oh, yeah. People
1: come to Powell's bookstore. And what's cool is that no one buys merch at any, uh, at any shows, if I was doing solo comedy, like if I did a festival, I would sell almost no merch, but if I did a, a, a poetry bookstore or a bookstore and I did some comedy there or whatever, and I had merch, I'd sell a bunch. So that was a good way to st- sustain myself on the road is selling books and t-shirts. So if you, if,
0: if you did a show at Powell's books, if you did a reading at Powell's books, um, I would imagine that Powell's by nature of being like one of the most famous bookstores in the world would have like a crowd there. But, then would you be getting paid? I'm just so curious.
1: Like, Yeah, so yeah. Powell's is not great to do for touring. That's why I like doing a small theater or something like that, uh, which is way better. Yeah. If I toured with like Eugene Merman, he would do the Neptune in Seattle or right. a big theater in Portland uh, or the Columbia in Seattle. And then you get all your merch sales at the end of that. Uh, if certain places uh, that are medium size, if I did it with another comedian, they'd take like, uh, they want like 25% of my merch sales. And I was like, Ugh. Oh, so Eugene that. taught me how to like, get it worked in the contract saying like, Hey, uh, I don't want to cut to the bar. Of course, just give me, let me take all my merch sales and I'll sell it myself. Just yeah. have, Security watch so it doesn't stolen. Or I just lay a blanket over it. Uh, I had a black blanket I'd lay over my birch and at the end, whoop, whip it off like a magician, and then sell it myself. <laughs> I guess
0: what I was hoping, Derek, was that you would tell me that when you came up in touring, it was really hard and there was no one there, but it sounds like it was no, but but
1: the show, but the shows with bands and other comedians paid really good. Yeah. Merch sales were way better. Um, as long as I was with, like I toured with cold war kids. And then right before that I toured alone and I had a show in Arkansas where one person accidentally came to my show thinking I was a different author. Uh, so then I got on a plane and started on their tour where they were like 800 seat theater theaters. And uh, I was like, Oh, I need to figure out who likes my stuff and tour with them because it's doing poetry for so long was, it's making it hard to get plenty of people to the shows,
0: man. It's both so beautiful it, it was and terrifying hard. that after, it was
1: <laughs> well, that's
0: good to hear. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I was sort of in like, It makes total sense to me that that uh, opening for bands, which is so cool that you got to do so much is way better. I guess I was just imagining like stand up is hard as fuck. I like did a show in Jackson, Mississippi once that was in like the coolest spot owned by the coolest guy. It was this like amazing uh, record store and toy shop that also he had like DJ nights there. And uh, there were eight people in the crowd. They could all see me. One of them was a heckler. And he hated my guts, and I was scared the entire time. And, Did you come at him? I bet you came at him. Oh, boy. Have I ever been in a fight? Uh, uh, no. Uh, I guess technically, but I didn't. No, start not, it. not come at him, but come at, come at him. Oh, I came at him with words. Absolutely. But I tempered those words because I was uh, terrified. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I guess I just imagine like comedy. Uh, If comedies like that, poetry would be similar, Uh, that you would have had shows in the corner of a record store, DJ Night, in which only eight people were there. But maybe in order for there to be a poetry show at all, it's like the people that are going to be there are going to be... Like, there's a more specific demographic for poetry, whereas comedy could have people who want to sit quietly or the type of people that want a raucous evening. You know, no one it's in the way crowd of the to get show
1: a is raucous. Poetry crowd, for sure. There's no, there's, there is, there's only a few venues like the New Arena in New York where there's 200 people that come every week. That's okay. so rare. It's usually 20, unless people are like, I think I'll check out this feature. Uh, and then for you something. might get 50. Um, so. It's, it's a little tricky. I mean, it's very tricky. It's still hard, man. It's it's hella work to uh, get bodies to the show for me.
0: Is um, touring your main source of income
1: nowadays? It was. Now I'm running my publishing house, Write Bloody, and then I'm hosting online writing workshops. Oh,
0: cool. That's great. But I,
1: I also made money on the side doing my gondola, gondola job where I had a a comedy show at sea on that thing, and uh, that was great for a year with my friend Trish and Holly, but uh, we had to stop running that because pandemic.
0: Man, I really wanted to do that show, and you asked me a you bunch of times. No, I never could do it, I don't remember why, but every time I think it was on tour a lot of the time. um And then maybe it was on Saturdays a lot of the time, which is when good heroin was. Oh, right. And then I would be on tour so much that when I was home, I kind of had to be there. Um, Damn. But the gondola show was a a comedy show on a boat with like a a few people, right?
1: Well, it was two uh, large gondolas called Carolinas. And I, I was, I've been a gondola. I was a gondola for 20 years. And then I, got laid off um and and ended moving up here to portland um because of the pandemic so whenever i needed some side extra money i would just pick up shifts rowing lovers and singing in italian to them and reading them poems on little rowing cruises so i learned how to row a venetian gondola and then they have huge ones that are several tons that can seat 14 people uh, 14 to 15 people and um There's like a table in the middle and you put your drinks on and there's candles and all that. So we'd get about 30 people on these two boats. We'd go through the canals and different people do their sets under the bridges and stuff. And then we'd tie off in the Bay where the boats next to each other. And we do the the rest of the show out in on the ocean uh, with uh, Bay water. So that you're not sloshing around and it's not seasicky. But uh, I had a little battery powered amp out there and, and the ladies would hold up flashlights on their faces and it was really magical. Uh, but uh, it's gone.
0: Oh man, <laughs> that does sound beautiful. God damn it, it. cool
1: man. Yeah. A lot of neat, neat, neat moments. I remember Natalie Palomides decided to be a mermaid and it was like April it was so cold. <laughs> she was like, I think what I want to do is sing like Ariel from the dock and then I'll jump in the water and I'll swim out to you guys. So I was like, that's like a hundred yard swim in uh, frigid 59 degree waters. Um, she's like, yeah, I'll, be, I'll be fine. And uh, <laughs> she was fine. And then she got a kiss from a lady when she got to the boat and she started to turn into a human and peeled off all of her clothes and did a little set butt naked Holy and they were, everyone was dying laughing because she's like i'm human now it was so good uh she's there's like genius. i have like a million stories but it was uh it was unforgettable and it was cool to have all that help to pull it off and i can't believe it's gone
0: yeah i'm sorry man that sucks but i mean not to like uh turn around an actual real sad thing too quickly but um those things will come back um maybe not that specific thing but i'm just you know i think that you and i are both pretty sad about not being able to perform i know i am uh,
1: yeah and i can't I'm, wait
0: yeah i um i i am so i was handling it okay and then lately it's like ah shit my life is gone fuck <laughs> i was hand i think in most of 2020 i was like uh, I can I can take a break. It's okay. And now I'm just like fuck this. God damn it. But I'm encouraged. People are getting vaccinated. We'll come back. We'll tour. We'll do shows. Uh maybe not another gondola show, but some other beautiful outdoor thing in which Natalie Palomides can do sure. create another epic story told. I know she I did uh new faces with her just for laughs. Mm-hmm. And we were in the airport leaving at the same time. And our flights were delayed. Uh, Myself, her, Chris Garcia, and Christine Bullen. All of us Mm. had our uh, flights delayed. So we were just wandering around the Montreal airport together. And we saw Louis Black sitting at a terminal alone. And I swear to God, Natalie was like, I'm going to talk to him. And I was like, <laughs> do not talk to him, please. And uh, <laughs> he's always enraged. <laughs> I know. He's going to yell at me. And she was like, no, it'll be good. It'll be good. And she walked in. She was like, Mr. Black. We, we're, we're comedians. And, you go, and he just turns and goes, oh! And then we talk to him for 30 minutes. That's uh, a
1: good Natalie, man. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, no, I like to do it because it's one of the few impressions I get right. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Blank. Oh, man, I love Natalie so much.
1: Yeah, she's awesome.
0: Okay, so uh, to wrap up, um, before we talk about what you've got going on, of which I want to tell people, what are you everything we've talked about touring magic the military christ poetry and comedy uh which by the way there's a chance you're the most interesting person i've ever talked to um that's too much to have happened in a life you're uh,
1: uh i'm 700 years old
0: <laughs> um yeah not trying to kiss your ass but fuck you for having that many things happen to you uh hey, i don't like yeah.
1: it <laughs> hey, um, yeah.
0: Uh, all of these things uh, and knowing we're in quarantine, what are you going to do? What do you want to do? What what, will you, what do you want life to be when you can do whatever you want again?
1: Uh, so maybe this isn't time to talk about what you're working on, but I want to write books I wrote a bunch of film scripts and that's why I came to Hollywood and TV shows. And I was pitching them around and all that. And then I got really involved in this novel. So the novel's going to market this year, which is great. So I want to like write the novels and then turn them into scripts and, and then do comedy. That's, that would be the jam. That's the dream. I never got to do your show, but I also never told you what happened with that. Do you want to talk about it after or? No, tell me so did you know i was banned from stories no yeah what happened so uh i booked a poetry show there really cool venue and it was one of the few la nights it was raining so the assistant at our publishing house was like i'll go set up the chairs and stuff you go pick up the other poets uh, this woman and this guy named Kristen and Denise. And I, so I'm going to pick them up waiting for them at their hotel. And it's a, it's a little delayed. So she's like, what do I do? This guy's saying it's raining. So we have to move the show inside. Should we do it up in the loft upstairs? I said, I didn't know they had a venue upstairs. Well, whatever your call is. So I get there and I forgot the guy that owns its name. Um, it's two uh, women and a guy. Alex. What's, what's the <laughs> fella's name? Alex. Okay. Yeah. So Alex was there and, um, and they're setting up the microphone up, up upstairs, over where the coffee's made. And he's like, "Is this okay?" And I was like, "No, I don't think so. I think it won't be as intimate. Let's just have the mic down here." He's like, "Well, it's going to stay up here." I was like, "What? Why did you ask me?" And then, and he, I go, hey, "Do we have an issue?" And he said, "Yeah, you got an attitude." And I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" Oh no! So then. Afterwards, my buddy was putting on a poetry show there, and he goes, Hey, I was gonna book you, but you're banned from here for life. And I was oh, like, Oh no. What? What? <laughs> so the end of the story is really fun because I I've been reflecting a lot more during this quarantine. So I wrote him an email and said, Hey, I don't remember me, but like five years ago I put on a show and I think we got off on the wrong foot. And I, I don't know if you think I'm a total butthole and I deserving and I'm really diva and he goes yeah i think i was really just grumpy that day and i'm sorry about that and it's it's all good it felt so good i was (laughs) like well i guess i just have enemies and uh (laughs) and it was great it just it was the most lovely email back and i was so pumped that i was like i think i'm gonna try and reach out it was a great lesson for me
0: oh wow good for you that's not only a great lesson for you that's a great lesson for everybody squash it you know Let it
1: go. Yeah, who do you got beef with,
0: Dave? uh, You, uh, you banned me from. Well, we we fucked my foxhole. (laughs) You can't get in my
1: foxhole anymore.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But fucking in a foxhole is my favorite saying ever. You can't. Yeah, totally. It's also funny. It's funny that it's against the rules. It's funny that it's in the rules. Everything about it's great. Um, I also you call it a foxhole. I mean, come on! I call How's the fuck there no butt in the foxhole? Where else am I supposed to butt fuck you? Um, so, uh, first of all, Alex is a grump, and I'm fine saying that. He's a good friend of mine, and he's a grumpy motherfucker. And I feel like he would say that about himself too. And I also wonder if there were other variables in there that you weren't, you weren't aware of, like because there's also misconceptions that can happen. Like I, I, you know, I've I've had. Uh, misunderstanding misunderstandings with people at that venue and other venues just by nature of it being stressful running a show. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. There was a guy DJing in the back once and I, I have this thing where I, I definitely I'm very neurotic and I feel beta. I don't feel alpha. And so it's a battle for me to assert myself And it just always has been. But as a result of all of those things, um, I think that I come off aggressive. This is what I've come to. I'm pretty sure I come off aggressive when I'm just trying to, through extreme panic, assert myself kindly. Because I'm also six foot one and I have a deep voice. And I'm a dude. And all these things make you read aggressive already, you know? Yeah. And so I like have bad nerves. And if someone is like fucking with the situation, my instinct is to run and hide and cry. And then I'm like, no, we can't do this, Dave. We have to assert ourselves. And so I very like and then but I also know that I like I don't want to be aggressive and I don't want to have conflict. And so there's so much energy in me that i like i've just noticed people reacting to me very extremely when well. i'm like excuse me do you think that we could move this chair here and they're like get out of my fucking face dude <laughs> i'm like so much for years i was like why does everybody do this but then i realized i think that my energy is just very extreme and so yeah, did someone
1: call you out on it or did you just realize it
0: yeah. So, well, I just had to realize it over time because it just kept happening. And then the the example I'm thinking of specifically is there's this really nice guy who would DJ Saturday nights sometimes in the back of stories. And um, our show is at eight, but I like to get there early and set up for an hour and I would kick everyone off to completely reset up the, the area back there. And so I asked inside when he was done and they were like seven 30 and I was like, shit, man, I need to set up earlier than that. I'm going to see if I can talk to this guy about it. So I walked out and I just felt like I said to him, uh, Hey man, I'm Dave. Nice to meet you. I know you're doing a thing. We have a show here at eight. The thing is that it requires a lot of setup. So I'm just hoping I know you're done at seven thirty. If I could ask you kindly to just let me know when you're done or I know this sucks to ask, but have like some quick turnover. We're just kind of overlapping. And I just want to make sure I get all my shit set up, but I also don't want to fuck with you.
1: And he was like, are you asking me to fucking leave? (laughs) And I was like, no, (laughs) but this is where we set up the pate and champagne.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, meanwhile, like smash cut to me saying everything I said, but with a gun in his mouth. Um, (laughs) no, why are you, why do you feel aggressed at? So, and then I've since interacted with him, and he's so kind and nice. And so it was just like a complicated – I don't know. I know you both, and I'm happy – you and Alex, and I'm happy it's squashed.
1: Yeah, because me I too. It's great lesson for me, and I, I can come across really cold. If someone's like, all right, we set up a boom mic for your set. I'll be like, oh, I don't need that. Someone might be like, oh. oh, I was <laughs> right. like, no, I'm just trying to be calm so no one gets stressed out, but I think it comes across real cold. Well, there's so much –
0: tension when it comes to throwing a live show that we don't talk about because we are in the business of creating a comfortable environment for the crowd. And that requires a lot of manufacturing, but since there's so much window dressing, there's so much like we're trying to make it look effortless. We all think of it as it's like a chill evening, but it's not a chill evening. Mm -hmm. The audience is having a chill evening. We're having the worst (laughs) time of our lives. (laughs) uh, (laughs) I'm kidding, but you know what I'm saying? It's stressful yeah um so when we come back i'd love to have you on and um you'll have a 10 minute set to do whatever you would like performance wise and then you will also have 10 minutes to uh win in a fight against alex
1: uh (laughs) put him in my foxhole bro (laughs) man Let let him show me my tracers
0: this uh this was so great thank you for doing the show I'm also glad that we finally got to connect. Like I've known your stuff and I've known of you, and we've talked online, but never have really, you know, the pandemic hit before we could do each other's yeah. shit.
1: I think like ten years ago, you did my show down in Long Beach when I was sick or something.
0: I did uh, light bulb mouth, is what you're yeah. talking about, right? Yeah. I did it a few times, and you weren't there. Mm.
1: um i i tried to make sure i wasn't there
0: <laughs> i understand i'm a real asshole i'm always talking asking people to stop djing and shit i fucking hate god and i hate magic so i understand uh, uh, uh. <laughs> i'm sorry man i hate gondolas uh. <laughs> um i'll show you some close-up magic um that's what i say to people um damn
1: I can make pain appear. That's (laughs) your (laughs) catchphrase.
0: Nice, dude. That's like if Magneto were a Christian magician.
1: (laughs) David Copperfield was buff.
0: I can turn pain into wine or whatever. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Please uh, tell me and the people listening um, what you've got going on, where they can find more of you, anything that you would like them to find of yours, because I would like them to do it
1: um you'll find me on my netflix special nobody cares that launches (laughs) uh february uh 1 2019 (laughs) i have that too uh, (laughs) you were on that series (laughs) yeah yeah totally man um so i'm at helium comedy club in uh portland for kyle canadian friends i'm one of the friends on march 17th cool uh tickets are limited and it's all spread out so it's super safe should be awesome drunk and safe. So <laughs> that's, that's cool. the next show. And then uh, my novel is coming out sometime this year. So we'll see how that goes. It's a world war II epic, which is not that funny.
0: <laughs> Sounds funny to me. Nazis and death. And, um, yeah. yep.
1: and I got oh, a website uh, called brownpoetry.com.
0: And where can people where, what are your social media things where people can follow you?
1: Uh, Derek Brown poetry on the Instagrams and then brown poetry.com for, I got off Twitter. I think it's up there still, but I haven't posted in four years. Good for you. Yeah. I'm saving, saving all those jokes. Yeah, man. Well, I would love to have a t-shirt, a sports t-shirt battle with you online someday where we both design bad (laughs) t-shirts and they go head to head and the audience votes for the lamest one. Holy shit. That's a great idea. What do you design sports shirts? Yeah. I use Canva for a lot of the graphics for the publishing companies. So, you know, I can just, I don't know if you use Canva, but I can easily do it in there.
0: Here's the thing about those sports shirts that I thought was obvious, but I think it's actually not. Is that Yes. While I am a graphic designer, that's true. I'm not really that adept at making specifically a sports logo. I found a sports logo generator uh, online that has like thousands and thousands of designs. And you just like search through all their designs and you like change the colors and put your words in. And I bought a subscription to it because I thought it was so funny. And periodically I make a bunch, but everyone's like make shirts and I'm going to, because I looked into it and it is a, you know, a design tool and I have the rights But I didn't, you know, design that wolf's face, so it never really (laughs) felt right, but I'm going to do it anyway.
1: (laughs) But if we, since we both know how to do this, it'd be fun to be like, all right, topic one, sports. Topic two, a name for an office, uh, uh, an office supply warehouse, a business card design, and all 10 designs people (laughs) vote for them. A name for, for a weirder urban outfitters, a name for a new beer company and then the the shitty they vote everyone votes for the shittiest
0: i truly love
1: this i mean it i we like
0: definitely should do that let's talk more about I'm, that i'm down i also have another podcast called what's it called where we name stuff that's literally it um so if you want to well, come on another podcast and name shit <laughs> Let's battle. Yeah, dude. Awesome. I this is very this is very exciting to me. Um yeah. follow Derek at Derek Brown Poetry, right? On Instagram, uh brownpoetry.com. And uh dude, you're the best. Thank you so much for doing the show.
1: My pleasure, homie. Can't wait to see you.
0: Yeah, same to you, man. And to you listening, thank you for listening to the show. I'm so happy that you're here. I'm trying this thing where I outro the show with the guest still here, which feels weird. Uh, <laughs> he's falling asleep. Thank you so much. Like I always say, this shit is hard. Quarantine uh, is fucking us all up of varying degrees. So I just hope you're taking care of yourself, doing the easy stuff like that isn't so easy, working out, drinking water, getting rest, stuff like that, and then reach out to people you love and just remember that you're loved. And uh, we'll be out of this soon. We'll be okay. Um, I'm at Dave to the Ross on everything. Um, Patreon.com slash Dave to the Ross if you want more of me. And I'll see you next week. Bye. Good Heroin is a member of the Starburns Audio Network and is produced by Hold the Phone Comedy. Follow at Good Heroin Show on Instagram and Twitter. Bonus episodes at Patreon.com slash Dave to the Ross. Thank you so much for listening.